Welcome to another episode of Making It Work in Montana. My name is David Boy, I'm your host. I've lived in Montana since 1996 and I own Black Diamond Mortgage in Whitefish, Montana. And since 1996, I've had the opportunity to meet many people through business and life and just people that have done an amazing job of making life work in Montana. And sometimes we're featuring people that excel in business and in being involved in the community and in the outdoors. Our guest today is somebody that brings joy to a lot of people. For me, as long as I've lived in the Flathead, I feel like I've always had the opportunity to go and listen to this person perform. And he basically is a live performer that plays at many different venues in the Flathead and he also plays throughout Northwest Montana and even a greater audience. He's recorded, I think, five albums so far. And I'm sitting here right now with John Dunnigan. Hi, David. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. What, what I really like about the uh, music career that you've developed is when I've been to your, um, I've been there at the Lodge at Whitefish Lake and, and places like the Firebrand, and I think I've seen you play up at Moguls before. Um, when I'm when I'm watching you play, uh, sometimes I'm just enjoying it because you have a lot of humor, and sometimes uh, you're just playing a really good version of a song that I recognize, and I'm enjoying that. And then other times I'm just really enjoying the interaction that you have with the audience, and it actually seems to create the atmosphere that that me and the audience and you are all having an experience together. And so I just uh, really appreciate that you're here to talk today and share like what it's like to make a career like that in Montana. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you for the introduction. And yeah, it's great to be here. And I'm getting a kick out of looking at these pictures on your wall of all beautiful blue sky and, and sunsets and such. Because as we all know, uh, November in the Flathead Valley, you don't see a lot of sunshine. So my <laughs> job, getting back to your question, is to bring kind of musical sunshine to these audiences because the Flathead is uh, a very cloudy place in November and uh, uh, so when I do these these live shows at these places that you mentioned I try and just have fun with the crowd and do fun songs keep it up, up uplifting yeah so you mentioned that so we're in the studio at my company Blackdown Mortgage and on the wall I've got pictures of sunny days at the beach, and you are absolutely right. That is so that <laughs> while I'm working, I yep. can see what it would be like, could be like. So funny you should mention that. Yeah. So not everybody has um, heard of John Dunnigan performance, but there's some bands that you kind of resemble. Could you give a little bit of a feel for what what is John Dunnigan music like? I know there's banjo sometimes, guitar, different things. Um, what What's the music like? Well, it's, it's, you know, kind of from my era and, you know, now that I'm in my, my late 20s, uh, that's not true, of course, no, they can't see me. <laughs> I'm, from the, I'm a guy from the 60s who was greatly influenced by, of course, the Beatles and Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel and the Birds and all that. So I, I play a lot, of, uh, a lot of acoustic music. I do play a lot of electric guitar as well and kind of bluesy things. And like you say, I do play... Uh, five-string banjo and uh, bring uh, an assortment of harmonicas. But I mean, if someone was to come in and 
pigeonholed me, they would go, oh, the guy does a lot of James, sounds like James Taylor, kind of Jimmy Buffett kind of stuff. Perfect. And yeah. I will put a link to some things where you can find more about John Dunnigan after this podcast. <laughs> so, John, what, what really impressed me and why I wanted to reach out to you was, as an observer in the Flathead, I see a guy who, who has basically a career of entertaining people locally and sometimes regionally in music, which so many people want to be in music and the arts and they struggle to be able to make it their life. And you've succeeded at doing that, in my opinion. So I wanted to bring you on and get a little bit of that story to, um, to help people who are interested in maybe making it work in Montana through music, just to hear a little bit about how you did it. Uh, but before we get into that, um, so I moved here in 96, and I, I always am able to recognize that John Dunnigan's around, but there's a whole life before that. So maybe if you could give us a quick snippet of where you grew up and, and how you ended up in Montana as a as a musician. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, I was born in San Francisco. Uh, my father played guitar. My grandparents were musicians. Not not like what I do or what you would think, but they uh, they were in the music world. And I moved to Big Fork, Montana, basically about 1976 just to kind of check it out. I was going to junior college in Northern California in Santa Rosa, came up here to Big Fork, uh, came up here to Big Fork in 1976 and saw just, you know, obviously an amazing area, uh, lots of places to play, lots of great musicians, kind of a little hideaway uh, for great musicians, you know, some kind of semi-famous people at that point lived here and just a lot of guys and girls like myself making a living playing guitar uh, clubs you know night to night and I just I really liked that so I I did a lot of uh, played in a lot of bands I was in the Blue Moon house band for a couple years I played uh, all down through other areas playing in kind of country bands kind of always admiring the guitar players I guess because I was secretly wanted to be a guitar player and then Probably 25 years ago, uh, I kind of started doing some solo gigs, or maybe more than that actually, maybe 30 years ago, and kind of basically never looked back. Like you mentioned earlier, I played up on the Big Mountain Ski Resort. I've played up there continually now, I think, for probably 30, more than 30 years up there. Uh, played in some bands, <laughs> played, uh, played solo guitar, and I just kept at it. I just played a lot, kind of always, you know, showed up on time, combed my hair, and uh, kept my nose to the grindstone, and here I am. You know? Well, that's great, and, and thanks for a little bit of background there. Yeah. So, what I've always enjoyed about watching a John Dunnigan performance is just that there's <laughs> an element of humor, and that um, the uh, you might play something that I recognize, but then you have some of your own stuff and, and kind of the combination of the two kind of makes it so that I'm actually just as a member of the audience willing to listen to something that I haven't heard before, which is engaging. And then I noticed you're always engaging the audience, which I think makes for a good experience. And I think that's why maybe you've had a nice long-term career of playing in the Flathead. Well, I, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I would really do enjoy, I'd say 90, 90% of the time I get ready to go to a job, I'm really looking forward to it. There are, of course, those times when 
like with anyone, if you're a baseball player, there's probably days you don't feel quite up to it. But I really enjoy what I do, and I really enjoy making people smile and laugh. Kind of the comedy part, I've learned that. That took a long time to develop, to do. I would go see, you know, who I thought were the great singer-songwriters in the day back in the in the 70s, in the 80s, you know, like the, the Jimmy Buffetts and the John Prines and, uh, and Gordon Lightfoot and James Taylor. And these guys were great storytellers. And well, John Prine and Jimmy Buffett were like comedians. They were really funny. James Taylor and Gordon Lightfoot, they were a little more solemn. Gordon Lightfoot didn't say very much at all. He didn't really have to. His music was so great. But the stories that particularly John Prine and Jimmy Buffett and many other musicians that I, I can't even remember right now, that really influenced me as to, you know, be the be funny and be lighthearted and set your songs up. I'm sure that the bartenders and the waitresses at some of these clubs that I play have probably heard my stories a billion and ten times, but there's a lot of new people. That's the great part about the Flathead Valley. So many new people come here and there's new people in the crowd every time I play and they have not heard these goofy jokes of mine and I see the bartender laughing uh, along with the crowd even though he's heard that punchline or that joke you know 75 times and that's really cool I love that I love that that, that sounds probably similar to what I expect of an actual comedian is the they've got something that they've kind of figured out works yep yeah. yep I can remember seeing Robin Williams bless his heart uh, you know, and, and he was so spontaneous. I saw him on, he was, you know, promoting a movie or a book or something, or maybe a comedy tour. And I saw him one time on, uh, I'm just going to have to rattle off some names, on Johnny Carson or, or maybe David Letterman and Jay Leno. And he literally said the same jokes, the same setup, the same craziness he was on every little interview he did. And I thought, wow, if Robin Williams can do that, <laughs> I can certainly do that at the Firebrand Hotel. Well, it'll just be our secret that you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't say anything. So, <laughs> what's the what's the biggest audience that you played for? Have you played like in a? I know I've, I've heard you play at some fairs and some places like that. What what's the biggest thing that you've gotten the opportunity to play live? Well, I did the show with Jeff Foxworthy out in Seattle. At uh, it was for the Marconi Awards, which is a radio, which is like the Emmys for a radio show, and I got to. Uh, do an hour and a half show with Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, there was, I think, a couple of thousand people in the audience. It was actually taped to be later run on television. I don't think it ever got on there, but I've live shows, four or 5,000 people a couple times with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band or Charlie Daniels. You know, I'm the opening act guy. You know, I've done literally dozens and dozens, probably more like hundreds of opening acts. Uh, not in the Flathead Valley. I'll leave and to do the state and county fairs or just an opening act for a, you know, a Restless Heart or, a, a, you know, country bands like that. So, uh, and that's always really fun. You don't play along, you don't do a three hour gig. You get up, 20 minutes, boom, you're off, they're on, you're back in your hotel room drinking a Heineken, watching ESPN. Life is really good right then. So that experience compared with, say, playing several hours at, at at the Whitefish Mountain Resort. How's that different for you as a musician? Well, it's night and day because these particular opening act act uh, shows, you know, you're, you're up there for, you know, 20, 25 minutes, maybe a half hour, and you, still, you can just do your best songs. You can cram everything, your greatest hits, kind of, so to speak, in a half hour, and 
you know, at this point in my life, I know which songs. And again, I try and be the funny guy. I try and do the the funny guy routine and do the... So even up in a big, bigger audience, you'll do that? Oh, gosh, that's my main thing, for sure, is to try and be do the humorous songs and my little funny stories, and that works really good to warm up a crowd, to get the crowd into it. Now, we talked a little bit offline, but you mentioned when you were getting started in, in uh, to the point where you had some regular performing gigs, like what it was like to get established... Maybe if you could just chat for a little bit about what, what was it like to go from wanting to be a musician that has a career as a musician to actually being one? And like, what were some of the things that it took for you to get from from the point where you wanted that to where it was your reality? Wow, you know, David, I've, I've been doing this so long. I it, uh, I guess I always knew I wanted to be a musician, and I just started out. And as soon as I started to play, I really never did anything else. I just played, uh, like I played a bunch of instruments. And in the early days in Montana, uh, with these country bands, I played the pedal steel guitar. And uh, that was like, you know, being a basketball player with three arms. If you played the pedal steel guitar back in the 70s and 80s, you, my phone would literally run, ring off the hook. I so mean, that, that's like... Uh something people were really wanting to have and so you had that and it's not that I was, it's not that I was that good it's just that there weren't any steel guitar player very few I could name them on my left hand uh, and not even use all my fingers seriously and I, and I remembered uh, you talking about having to play a lot to get to the point where you could earn a good living at it you want to chat about that a little bit yeah well you know again back in the late 70s and all through the 80s and 90s, you know, the, the, the money was, uh, yeah, you had to work a lot of nights to make it kind of work for you, you know. And now that I'm more established, and I think the, the Flathead Valley is kind of on the map, especially Whitefish and Big Fork. I play these places, like you've mentioned, the Firebrand and the Big Mountain Ski Resort, where a lot of people uh, come through these, you know, come to these venues. And so I've been playing these places for a long time, I've gotten, you know, my pay scale has gone obviously way up since the days of the 70s and 80s. Uh, I mean, when I worked the Blue Moon, I, I don't know if I even should talk too much about the actual dollar percent, but it was not very much. And I worked five nights a week at the Blue Moon, and that's just what it was. That was a standard house band gig, and you made uh, 50 bucks a night. That was kind of your, that was the, the big, 50 bucks a night. You got a five-piece band, give you 250. 50 bucks a night. Everybody got $50. Most of the guys that I've talked to that are in that part of their career are entirely doing it because they just enjoy to play music in front of people. Right. And, they, and they're not yet at the point where they're planning to make money from doing it. Right. Yeah, it, it, it takes a big commitment and a lot of sacrifice. And, you know, because, yeah, you're not going to, like, you know, go to work and, you know, work in a bank and it's, it's, and all the unknowns about it, you know, the, you have to work at it to make sure you're working next weekend and the following weekend. And I think with all the uh, social media stuff now, you know, with, with Facebook and, and just cell phones and things, you can promote yourself better now. You can book yourself farther down the line. I just got a text this morning from a guy in, 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 uh, in, uh, Las Vegas. He's an agent. We've done a couple, get, and he's trying. He wants to book me in uh, uh, for a one night in uh, 
in June. So I checked my calendar and I said I can probably do that. So do you I'll go down to Vegas. I'll go to Vegas. I, I'm not. We didn't. He didn't give me any details on it yet. But I do. I've traveled all over the United States, really. For my little motto is if. They pay, I play. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so now you've got a pretty routine established. You, know, you have people that call you to, to get you on the schedule and those kind of things. Um, and you've been doing it a long time. Uh, going back, is there anything that you um, were doing when you were trying to get to this point that would have been like a mistake that you were like, yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. It would have been easier for me if I hadn't done that. Wow. Oh, uh, you know, uh, well, that's a really good question. I don't think I ever really made any mistakes. We'll probably talk about the one big mistake I did make uh, uh, as far as just, you know, abusing a certain substance uh, way too much. But as far as, you know, more mechanical things like wrong songs or, you know, didn't charge enough or different kinds of equipment, I don't, I think I was always pretty much in tune to that. I was always been in tune to, to people and what people kind of liked. I'm, you know, the, the classic people pleaser. I mean, if there's a hundred people in the room and there's one guy not smiling, I will focus on that. And I'm not saying that's right because you can't please everyone, but that's what goes through my mind as the kind of a entertainer guy that I, that I like to think I am. Well, that sounds like a successful strategy. So you have a very close connection with your audience. You're not just there playing. Right. You're, you're looking to see if you're meeting their needs. Well, that's, yeah, well put. Yeah. And that's, what my whole show is, is based around right now is, you know, doing the fun things, start out, you know, kind of the mellow background guy. And then, you know, for these particular shows that I'm doing, like for example, this week at the Firebrand and the Whitefish Lake Lodge, I played the Great Northern Bar last night, which is uh, a real lively, sometimes people would call it rowdy, big, big ski bar here in Whitefish. I get a chance to be more electric in there but I'm always, you know, looking out in the crowd to see who's enjoying themselves and see who's not and, you know, filing that stuff all away as what I can do better next time. So you made mention of it, so we'll go ahead and jump right on it. But uh, so the, the one big mistake you said you would highlight, um, we were gonna talk about this. So um, in January, 2015, you had a big life change and maybe go ahead and explain to you what happened at that time and kind of how things are now compared to before. What, what was the big event? Well, the big event was uh, I drank too much. I drank uh, a lot when I played, just when I played. Uh, and I didn't drink most of my life. I was really, I, I wasn't a total cheat toddler, but because I drove so much from the big mountain and played these, you know, out of town gigs, I was, you know, pretty smart. And I wouldn't, you know, have, have consume anything and then get on the highway, but, uh, doing so many local gigs right here in town. And of course I live right here in town and I got sponsored by the Patron Tequila Company, which was the, the end of the beginning, so to speak. And I really loved my endorsement. I loved the product. It was really fun, but it, it uh, caught up with me after about probably six years, six, seven, not exactly sure how many years, but, uh, I ended up getting very, very sick with a pancreatitis, ended up spending uh, about 21 days in the hospital. And as of that, that time, I have not had one drink since. And that has been, that's the, the greatest thing ever. It's um, just, it's kind of like, kind of like a rebirth where it's really, really fun now to, to play all the, and it's been going on now for five years. And, and uh, 
it just makes me feel more clear-headed. Uh, I just can't tell. And a lot of my friends, in fact, I was going to meet a friend of mine this morning and talk about the alcohol thing. You know, I can't drink. It's really easy for me. I can't because I could, you know, end up back in the hospital. And that was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, it was really hard on my family. Financially, it was unbelievable. And physically, I don't like pain. I don't... I get hangnails on my finger and I'm a, I'm a little crybaby and pancreatitis, if anyone out there has ever had pancreatitis, it's the, according to the surgeons and the nurses, it's the worst thing that a man can go through. Very painful. So anyway, so I don't do it anymore and I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a way better musician, better singer, whatever, whatever for it. So you, you basically, and we talked a little bit about this offline, but you, got to a point in your career where having drinks during the performance was the way it was and then all of a sudden your pancreas said no and you had to go to the hospital and and going forward you can't do that anymore right so you 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 had basically a life where you could drink as much as you wanted and it, and it was fun and it was part of the performance and then now you like a line is drawn after January 2015 if you want to continue to be a musician, it's fine, but no more drinking. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was fun, and it became part of my show. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, another. It was like another instrument, you know. I had my banjo, my electric guitar. I had my humorous songs. I had my harmonica. I had my little mellow James Taylor songs. And if none of those things worked, uh, I could, you know, kind of lean back and and get people all excited about doing these. Shots of tequila, you know, that's a big thing in a bar. That's what, you know, that's what you're there for. Really, you could be the, you could be the best guitar player and or singer in the world, but if nobody drinks, uh, you're not going to be playing there very much. So that's part of your job is to kind of, come on, let's go, you know, and get, get the whole, get the party started. And I was, I was really good at it. <laughs> well, I have to admit, like, I, I had a personal journey that was similar myself. And I, my big fear when I... I didn't have pancreatic disease where I had to do it medically, but I had a point in my life where I decided to quit drinking. And I remember um, being worried about being able to beat Dave, right, right, the one that everybody liked. After, was there any struggle there, or did you have a little bit of worry about that? Or? I, I definitely worried about it. You know, I was, I was off work, out of work, uh, resting, home, kind of recovering for about five months, and I. Uh, I thought this will be interesting. This will be the first time I'll have to play, obviously, totally sober, which was, which was really fun. It just it came right back. I didn't miss a, didn't miss a lick, so to speak. And I, I think I'm a, like I said, a, a better musician, better singer, better guitar player uh, for it. And you just feel better when you leave the. <laughs> you feel a lot better when you leave the bar at one o'clock in the morning. You're the most sober guy in the whole room, and that that feels good. So do, do you feel like now if you did know somebody that is struggling with alcohol that you could look them in the eye and say, I can assure you that you'll be doing amazing things on the other side of this and it's worth it? I do it every week. At least once, I'll bet you once, maybe more. I know I'm just, last week I talked to a guy, this morning I talked to a guy. Uh, they don't know my situation because of the fact that, I, you know, I'm not like, I don't go to AA meetings, although I think they're good. I just was given the ultimatum. You're either gonna not drink and live or you're going to drink and possibly die. That's how serious my 
particular uh, pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis, destroyed you know a lot of my pancreas and poisoned my system, and it was very very serious for a couple of days. I was, it was touch and go. I don't remember it, but uh, uh, yeah, so it's great, and you save a lot of money. I can buy better steaks now. <laughs> buy top sirloins. Well, so you're you're in like your mid sixties now, right? Sixty five. And um, you've you've got you're very talented at music because you played and played and played, and you've made it through this drama. Um, what's your long term? What's what's on the horizon for John Dunnigan? What can we look for? Well, just to continue, you know, playing. I still want to play for you know several more years. I I love it, and I can drag my audience through the mud, I think, because they they like the kind of stuff that I play. I mean, I'm that guy from the 60s. You know, they'll come down tonight, they're going to expect to hear, you know, the Beatles and, and Paul Simon and James Taylor stuff. And I think back, or I look around now at all these different musicians, and there's some just phenomenal musicians in the Valley, and they all have their little niches, and I'm that guy. I'm the guy that does those, and the, the funny songs. I pro I'm probably one of the only guys really who who does the kind of comedy uh, routine along with the James Taylor songs and because uh, I'm older than some of these guys and and like I say doing funny songs is that's an art that's a huge art to do comedy music because it's just you got to find the right song you got to sell it you got to practice it you kind of you got to relive it every single time you you got to make it funny to yourself and to the audience every time you play it. So it's it's kind of a big trick. It's really cool. Yeah, I think um, what I hear you saying is, as long as you're bringing joy to the audience, you don't see yourself stopping ever. Well, another yeah, I <laughs> I don't know about it ever, but I'll play until they stop calling me, until the phone doesn't ring, and then I'll just I'll go fishing. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned to you when we were talking before that um, that that is a uh, likely thing because, like I, I had mentioned, that when I was in college, I um, I heard for the first time Clarence Gatemouth Brown, oh, and yeah. at that time he was like eighty something years old, right? And he was playing, and I had never even heard him before. But after going getting his albums after all that, he was as good. At that age, it's probably ever been. He had mastered it. He was still good at it. Yeah, he has passed on, but but like really, as long as you've got it, you might as well keep going. And you know, as as we all age up with with these kind of quote singers from the '60s, I saw yesterday on uh, online where Gordon Lightfoot is now 80 years old, and Willie Nelson is is 80 years old, and Paul Simon is right around 80 years old, and these guys that are you know, definitely influenced me. They're 15, 16 years older than me. Uh, and they're still out there doing it. Now, obviously, they don't need the money. I mean, Paul Simon is, you know, one of the, and Gordon Lightfoot and Willie Nelson are some of the wealthiest musicians in the history of the world. So they they love it. They just love it. Brings them joy. Yeah. Well, hey, um, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming and being on this podcast. Um, we didn't really know each other that much before this, but you've been somebody that I felt like I knew Thanks, because man. I've heard your music and I and it's like you're you're a very engaging guy in your performances. And so when I reached out to you, I was hoping that you would be willing to share a little bit about your story and your journey. And I know that you're the kind of guy that if anybody listening to this wants to follow up with you 
and know more that you'd be happy to share with them and they probably could just run into you at one of your performances right sure I, I, again I get that I get that a lot I'm kind of one of the one of the senior performers you know in the Flathead Valley there are a couple of other guys who might be older than me I'm not really sure that's true but uh, yeah I talk to guys all the time about you know they're inquisitive as to how just like some of the questions you've asked how I've done it so long and how I keep my show fresh and and uh, you know as far as equipment and guitar styles and things like that I love it that's that's all I do is, is practice and play and set up and go home well last question okay uh, the guy that got me in touch with you for this interview told me to ask you this but uh, he's one of your biggest fans because whenever I'm on Facebook He's always at a John Dunnigan event and he's always posting. So one of your big fans locally here said to ask you, uh, and apparently your wife cannot know, but what's it like to walk on thin ice? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, wow. And what's he, where is he going with that? Well, I, wow, I, uh, that's literally, uh, Thin ice is, yeah, I fell through the ice. I'm, I'm a big fisherman and I have a little cabin on a, on a lake here in Northwest Montana. And a couple of years ago, me and a buddy were out. We were being, we were being stupid. You know, a couple of Northern California guys, even though we've both been here for more than 40 years, uh, just walked out on the ice in the spring. It was frozen or it looked pretty frozen. And uh, I had my dog, kind of like your dog, who I'm petting right here. And he, I was throwing the Frisbee for him, not thinking much about it. We were about, uh, 50 or 60 feet from shore and later on I found out the water was about 40 feet deep but a friend of mine uh, from Minnesota said it doesn't have to be deep it just has to be over your head and I broke through uh, just so quickly it's just mind-boggling and I had all my winter gear on so suddenly I probably went from weighing you know 165 pounds to 200 because everything gets soaked I didn't go you know over my head and I got out on my own and then I took like four or five steps towards my friend who was just in shock and I broke through again. And this time he laid down in his stomach and reached out and actually got me out. And I remember looking up towards my cabin and towards the guys, uh, my neighbor who had just told me three hours before that, don't go on the ice, it doesn't look very safe. I was looking at his window thinking, I wonder if he sees me out there and I'm feeling really embarrassed. To make a long story short, obviously I got out, but uh, you know, sometimes people don't get out. You you're in there, and you you know the ice keeps keeps breaking. I never felt the cold. It never. I just never even realized I was in cold water. But it was, uh, it was, and my friend I was with, I won't mention his name. He will never go out on ice. He said I've been out many many times since, but it scared my friend where he will never go ice fishing again. <laughs> so that's what it is. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, Scott. And uh, that's a nice little side note story. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, John, uh, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit. Uh, it's we, we, We're trying to have a, just a wide, diverse mix of people who made it work in Montana. And you've made it work through music, which is uh, a lot of people would like to be able to do that. And so I just appreciate you sharing some of your experiences with everybody. Well, you're welcome, David. Good luck with this podcast. And this is David Boy, and this is Making It Work in Montana. And we appreciate you listening through this episode. If you have any feedback for us, uh, let me know on the Facebook page or our website. And if you have somebody that you think would make a great 
uh, guest for making it work in Montana, please reach out to me and let me know. And have a great week.